Revelation chapter 9, we today come to the sounding of the sixth trumpet. The sounding of the sixth trumpet. Let's read and then I'll try to explain what we find in these verses and bring you up to date. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which have the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed. By the fire, the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and at heads and with them they do hurt. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils or demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. Pray with me briefly before we look into the message. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. We ask that you'll give us clarity of mind as thy servant, clarity of mind as the hearers, that we may hear and understand thy word. How we thank thee for the unveiling in thy word that you've given us in this book of the future. And we pray that you'll help us that as we study this passage of thy word to understand not only what is about to come upon this earth, but also what our responsibilities are in the here and now. Anoint me with thy spirit. May the word of God have its effect in every life. Save the unsaved. Bring the backslidden, the indifferent, the cold of heart into a fellowship with thee and edify this body of believers, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. You'll notice on our chart behind us, on the wall behind us, that we are dealing now, beginning in Revelation chapter 6, and going all the way through chapter 19, with that period that we have designated as the tribulation period. According to Daniel chapter 9, this period is a period of time that will last for some seven years upon this earth. There is a distinct division in the seven years that you'll find, and that is the period is divided into equal parts of three and one-half years apiece. In the first part of the seven-year tribulation, the first three and a half years, 
things will apparently go comparatively well. But after that, to use the expression that's understandable, all hell will break loose on this earth. Now then, the tribulation period follows that momentous event that we've designated by the arrow pointing upward, the rapture of the church. That is, the Bible tells about a day when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive, those who are yet living on this earth at that moment, will be caught up together with them, that is, those who have been raised, believers, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that is what we call the rapture of the church. The word rapture, as I perhaps have said before, is not found in the Bible. But it is the sum total of the teaching of this moment when the Lord will gather out of this world those believing children of God unto himself. Now, the word rapture or the word called away uh, simply is a snatching away of those from this earth unto the Lord himself. Now, we know that that is an event prophesied in the New Testament. But the Old Testament prophets did not deal with this moment of the catching away of the church for they did not even see nor understand this age of the church. But their prophecies dealt with what we know as the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice on our chart, the the arrow pointing downward, the yellow arrow, is a designation of that moment of the second coming of Christ. When he shall literally come, and as Revelation 1 says, every eye shall see him. In other words, it'll be his visible coming to this earth. And according to the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, he will come back to the very place from which he ascended, the Mount of Olives. He will place his feet on the Mount of Olives. From that point, he will establish his earthly reign as is prophesied in the scripture. That earthly reign will last for a thousand years. After which that thousand year kingdom of our Lord, Messiah's kingdom, will merge into the eternal kingdom of God that will be forever and forever. Now then we're in this moment known as the time of tribulation. The word tribulation, by the way, uh, comes from a Latin word, tribulum, and the word tribulum actually is translated and means a a flail. And if you you understand what a flail is, it's an instrument used by many a farmer to beat out the grain away from the husk of the wheat. And so this time of tribulation of God's judgment upon the earth will be a time of the separating of the wheat from the chaff. God's going to beat out sin and judge this Christ-rejecting world as sure as you live. Now then, as we've said, the period will last some seven years divided into two divisions. First, the three and a half years. The second, three and one half years. This period of tribulation is referred to by many expressions in the Old Testament. 
For example, the prophet Isaiah talks about it, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Malachi, over in the New Testament, the book of Acts deals with it. Paul deals with it in First and Second Thessalonians. And also Peter deals with it in the book of Second Peter. And it is called the day of the Lord. In all of those references I've given you, I'm giving you chapter and verse. I, I, I knew it'd go too fast. You wouldn't get it. But all these prophets deal with it and refer to it as the day of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, he refers to it, quote, as a destruction from the Almighty. A destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah again in chapter 26 and verse 20 calls it the indignation. The indignation. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 refers to this period of tribulation as the days of Jacob's trouble. A particular reference to the Jews to the chosen people of God. Daniel 12 and verse 1 calls it a time of trouble. A time of trouble. Joel chapter 2 and verse 2 and the prophet Joel refers to it as a day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Zephaniah refers to it in chapter 1 verse 15 and here's what Zephaniah says, that it will be a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation. Then already we have seen in Revelation chapter 6 at verse 17 where it is referred to as the great day of his wrath. Now ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. God is a God of love. But don't ever ignore the flip side of that. God has expressed his love in that he gave heaven's best to provide redemption and salvation for us all. But if men reject that offer of love, of mercy and grace, I tell you there is nothing for you to look forward to but the wrath and the judgment of almighty God. And so the Bible reveals not only God as a God of love, but here he is seen in the great action of judgment and wrath and indignation and fierceness. Now the tribulation period itself, will the great tribulation that is, will begin, well, pardon me, let me back up. The tribulation period, the seven-year period, just after the rapture of the church, will begin according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. Will begin as that one world ruler known as the Antichrist, referred to here in the Revelation as the beast. This one world ruler will offer to Israel a seven-year covenant. And that covenant will involve an offer of protection. Israel will have peace. The Antichrist will come offering a settlement between the Arab-Israeli conflict that is presently even going on, as we well know. He will come to guarantee Israel protection. And that's the thing Israel is concerned about now. 
with the arms sailed to Saudi Arabia, one of Israel's avowed enemies. And Israel fears that if the United States gives such a great abundance of arms to Saudi Arabia, that those very arms will be used against Israel, whom all the Arab world has sworn to obliterate, to get out of existence altogether. And so then they will, uh, the covenant by this one world ruler, who by the way has been prophesied in the scripture, a man who will come on the scene offering peace, offering the answer to the world's great conflict and solution. And listen, with the conflicts going on right now in the Middle East, who would not welcome someone who could offer and promise and provide a means of peace in this world? We are sitting on a powder keg ready to explode any moment. And that could begin before you and I even leave this building today. The whole story is this one shall come and we'll offer protection. We'll let Israel rebuild their temple on that temple mount where now the Arabs' mosque of Omar sets, a very sacred shrine to all of the Muslim world, to the world of Islam. And yet the Antichrist will somehow come and offer a means, a covenant, a way whereby there can be peace and Israel yet have their temple restored and their ancient religious ritual of sacrifice restored to their own way of worship. He will indeed attempt to settle that uh, dispute and will side with the people and nation of Israel and their claim, as far as their claim to the land of Palestine is concerned. Now, we have seen already in our study of the Revelation that there are, there are three series of judgments that God's seer, his prophet, saw in his vision on Patmos. Those judgments comes, come in three series, as we remind you again and again. First, there are seven seals that are broken. And those seals are seals that sealed up what we identified as the title deed to this earth. This is my father's world. He does not have it in his possession. It is under the rule of a squatter, under the rule of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. But the Lamb of God is the one worthy to break those seals. And thus, as each seal, as that scroll of world uh, title is unrolled, a judgment, something happens when those seals, each of them, is broken. And then there come the seven trumpet judgments, and we're in those right now. At the sixth one, we've already looked at five of them and what will take place. And then comes at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there comes the beginning of the pouring out of the vials or the bowls of the wrath of God, the most severe of all the expressions of divine judgment. Now, we have already looked at those seven seals in, in the, the study. In chapter 6 of Revelation, let me just give you a quick, a quick uh, review. Re watch, watch this. In Revelation chapter 6 at verse 1 and 2, when the first seal is broken, we see a rider on a white horse. He comes with a bow but no arrow. He is representative of the Antichrist who comes to conquer in peace. Could I say by negotiation? 
by peace. He comes offering peace. And this world is crying for peace. Peace, a workable negotiation even of the present things. The United Nations has at last come, as it were, to almost full bloom in our world. And there is the constant pressure for negotiated settlement of disputes by peaceful means. The, the world is being prepared, my friend, for this one ruler who will come with a solution to the problem in the Middle East. And then the second seal is broken in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 6. And we see that there is a rider on a red horse, representative of bloodshed. Peace will be taken from the earth. The Antichrist has offered and produces now perhaps for the first part of the tribulation period an era of peace. And everybody somehow, disarmament maybe comes in many countries. There is a peaceful atmosphere. But wait a minute, like Paul said, when they cried peace, peace, and safety, then sudden destruction, sudden destruction. And so comes the rider of the second horse as the second seal is opened and he takes peace from the earth. Look at verse 5 and 6 of chapter 6. When the third seal is broken, there is seen a black horse representing famine, wherein the verse tells us that a man's whole day's wage will only buy perhaps one-eighth of the food demand of one person's body, a whole day's salary. Now you talk about inflation, bud. We don't know anything about it yet. And already you're seeing the signs of, of inflation in this country. What I'm trying to get you to see is this. I'm not saying the things that are happening here are the things that are exactly prophesied in these sections, but rather they are forerunners. They are foreshadows of what is about to come upon this very earth. And then you'll find that the fourth seal is broken in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. And the Bible here shows that there comes a rider on a pale horse. And the name of that rider is death, is death. Wherein, listen to this, one-fourth of the population of the world is killed. That's an estimated 750 million or perhaps even beyond, depending on the current uh, uh, statistic of world population. We're talking about millions of people who literally die as a result of the famine. We're talking about a fourth of the population of this world. And then not only that, but the fifth seal is broken in verse 9 through 11. And you'll find that here the scene shifts toward heaven. And there are martyrs who are martyred their souls before the altar to heaven. And they're martyred for the word of God and their testimony. And then the sixth seal is broken. Look at verse 12 through 17 of chapter 6. And when that seal is broken, we found that drastic physical changes in the earth and the sky are going to take place. And as a result, men will seek to die. They will beg to die. And death, the Bible says, will flee from them. They try to hide from God, but there is no place to hide. Rocks and mountains fall on us, they cried. At the opening of the seventh seal in chapter 8 and verse 1, there is silence in heaven. Such an awesome scene this is. Silent as the angelic host and the redeemed recognize what the breaking of the seventh seal means. 
as one anticipates glory, judgment, and tragedy, and awesome suffering and pain, men are left silent, aghast, as they see what is about to come upon this very earth. And then we move from the seals that are broken to the trumpet judgments. Those trumpet judgments begin in chapter 8 at verse 7. At the sounding of the first trumpet, you have seen if you'll follow us in this study that hail and fire are mingled with blood and they are cast upon this earth. Listen to this. Whereas one-third of trees and green grass are burned. Can you imagine an earth where a third of the trees are destroyed, a third of all the green grass, yet at the sounding of that first trumpet, that's what we found. And then at verse number 8 and 9 of chapter 8, the second trumpet is sounded. Look what happens as a result. These are displays of the judgment of God. And yet here, a flaming meteor like a mountain, John says he saw, fall into the sea. And as it fell, one-third of the sea becomes blood. No mystery there, for that happened in Egypt years ago. When Moses, when even the Egyptian sorcerers caused the water to turn to blood. Not only that, a third of the water turns to blood, but one third of all of the creatures of the sea die. Can you imagine that? Did you see on television news the death of all those fish up in Maine? And how people were so uh, nauseated at the smell of rotting fish floating on the water surface. Can you imagine a third of all of the ocean creatures dying? And then all of that, but a third of the ships are destroyed. That's the merchants. That's the lifeline of trade between nations and so forth. The ships, the airlines, whatever. And then the third trumpet sounds at verse 10 and 11. We looked at that just the other Sunday. A burning star falls upon this earth. And as a result, one-third, again, watch this, one-third of the rivers and the springs of water become bitter and poisonous. You talk about water pollution. This world doesn't know anything yet. When this judgment of God begins to move upon the scene. And then the fourth, the fourth trumpet sounds at verse 12 and 13. And watch this. As a result of that expression of judgment, the sun, the moon, and the stars are affected. They shine not for a third part of the day. Watch. Day and night will be shortened by one third. A change even in the period of light and darkness upon this earth. What God is doing is endeavoring indeed to get the attention of men, but as well it is a judgment of God upon God-hating, Christ-rejecting men and women. I want to tell you, my friend, this is a day of grace and love. And all that you take advantage of the moment God gives, lest this judgment overtake and overwhelm. The fifth trumpet is sounded in chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. We looked at it last Sunday. And this is the first of three woes. We have said there are three trumpets left to sound, five, six, and seven. And they're called the woe trumpets, meaning they are far more severe in their expression of judgment and wrath than anything heretofore. 
the first of the three woes sounds at verse 1 through 12. And as a result, demons, demons like locusts begin to come upon this earth, released from the abyss, released from, as John said, the bottomless pit. And John said that these demon locusts will torment men for five months upon this earth and then men shall seek death and death will not come. They are sent to torment men. I want to tell you, friend, if you let the devil hoodwink you into not realizing the presence and the existence of, of a devil and demon power, my friend, you're in bad shape. I think most of our world has become exceedingly aware of demonic activity, but we know nothing of it now. When these are released, a great host are released like smoke that comes up out of a pit, literally teeming millions of demon spirits inhabiting locust-like creatures that are sent to torment men. Tom White, a cowboy who discovered Carlsbad Caverns, was riding out on his pony one day and he saw what he thought was a cloud arising. And he made his way as he rode along, kept seeing that darkened cloud, and he rose, rode to the point where it seemed the cloud was, and he discovered that it was nothing but millions of bats flying up out of this cavern known today as Carl's Bad Caverns. Now, I want to tell you, when that smoke of the, tor of the smoke of the pit ascends out of it, there comes these demon hordes that will inhabit those locust-like creatures. Now then, for the last few moments, I want you to look in verse number 13 through 21 that we've read. And here is the second of the woe trumpets, the second of them. There are five things I want you to notice about them. First of all, in verse 13 and 15, notice the command that is given. An angel of the sixth angel sounded heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Do you know where the Euphrates River is? Run smack dab through old Babylon. Do you know where old Babylon is? Iraq, Iran. And here the angel of God gives command to four bound angels. Now these angels that are bound at the river Euphrates are not, angel are not the angels of God in the sense of subservient to God. They are undoubtedly fallen angels of a very high category. And their categories are classes of angels. Archangels, those who are under the archangels. And you remember that when Satan rebelled against God, he along with his angels were cast out of heaven. Now we know that the greater part of them are indeed cast out into hell, but wait, undoubtedly there are some of greater heinous crime who are bound elsewhere. According to this, there are four that are bound in the area of the Euphrates River. Now, Peter talks about that, and Jude also talks about those angels that are bound. 
Second Peter talks about the angels that are bound until the time of judgment. That is, they are designated not as instruments of the judgment of God. They are vicious, they are vile, they are murderous in their intent. The devil himself is a murderer. You cannot expect those who are under him to have less love for humanity than he does. And yet again, these angels are bound. And watch, they're bound in the great river Euphrates. An interesting observation, is it not? And this is one of the, listen, at this area, this is where many of the first that you read about took place on planet Earth. The first man and woman ever to be on this earth created by the hand of God, were placed in the Garden of Eden very near this very location of old Babylon, the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River is one of the rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. It is a very long river in this Middle Eastern part of the world. But yet again, it is very significant. It is the dividing line actually between east and west. It is the place where first man was found. It is the place where the first sin was committed. It is the place where the first murder was committed. It is the same area where the first conglomeration of men who wanted to make a, quote, one world under the leadership of a man by the name of Nimrod built what we know and the Bible reveals as the Tower of Babel. Now, I, want to, I don't have time to tell you what it started. It was very, I'm going to tell you now. It was very interesting to me to see a poster for the European common market, the economic European conglomerate. And would you believe the poster had a picture of the Tower of Babel? And they have the suggestion in it that here is the uniting of all of these continents in Europe. My friend, I don't have time to explain it in detail. I will later. But the Bible predicts a revival of the old ancient Roman Empire. And the continents, the countries that make up modern day Europe that are now talking about a unity, a uniting, and becoming a United States of Europe literally fit in the boundaries of the old ancient empire of Rome and this very area of Euphrates, Babylon, and so forth indeed touches its very border. What I want you to understand is this. These things are not picked out of the sky and it's not the dream of some maniac or somebody on LSD. It is the word of the living God and God's trying to draw our attention in this era to what's happening today in the Middle East to tell us we had better get ready that God is beginning to move on this earth and soon he will come for his bride and later will come to establish his rule and his reign upon this earth. But before he comes to rule, judgment will fall upon this earth. Now they come, the command is given. Notice the person of the command is an angel, comes from the golden altar. And there are two altars in the temple, the altar of sacrifice, the altar of worship. The altar of sacrifice was where the animal was slain and then the priest came with a golden censer and came to that golden altar just before the place of the Holy of Holies and that altar was an altar of worship. 
Simply saying that, uh, uh, saying that, uh, that worship, to be worshiped before God must be based upon the shed blood of the Lamb. Salvation itself, our approach to God, is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way for you to come to God except through that blood-sprinkled way. No other way. Church membership won't do it. Baptismal waters won't. Ritual, ceremony, all of these things, keeping of commands, they'll not do it. The only thing that will is the blood of the Redeemer. And so here, the altar of the gold altar, come, the command comes to this person, uh, the, the angel at the golden altar, the place of the commandment, and the purpose of it is judgment. Look at verse 16. I must quickly move along. Verse number 16. And here you find the count of a tremendous army. Do you realize that this army will be the largest army ever, ever the largest single army ever assembled? The largest army, according to historians, ever assembled under one banner was the army of Xerxes who invaded Greece and he had one hundred, one, one million and a half men. One and a half million. But here John gives us the count of this army. And he says the horsemen were 200,000 thousand and I heard the number of them which comes to 200 million. Now, you talk about an army, 200 million. We think today we have a lot of troops in the Middle East area, but you're talking about 200 million now. That's all, that's inconceivable. It's hardly imaginable. I can't picture that in my mind. An army of 200 million now. Here's the count. What a large, uh, a large assemblage this is. But I want you to look, if you will, at the characteristics of this army. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, verse 17. I saw the horses of the vision sat on them having breastplates of fire, jathent brimstone, and the heads of the horses were the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Oh, what a description. Now then many commentators believe that this could well be a description of modern day implements of war. Have you ever seen a cobra helicopter? Looks kind of like a scorpion, doesn't it? The weapons of war that today have, have, and I'm not saying that's what these are. I'm saying what a picture, what a reminder. Fire coming from the front, power in the tail, missiles, all of the new kinds of weaponry and warfare, literally unbelievable. And yet these come and watch what happens as a result of this great host. The Bible says that now at verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed by fire and by smoke and brimstone which issued out of their mouth. Now I believe this. If these are men who make up an army, they are demonized men. They are inspired by these demon hordes that indeed are let loose and are by these angelic beings, the fallen four angels that have now been loosed. They have been loosed. And now quickly they assemble an army of 200 million. Somebody, sometimes commentators will jump over a little and they'll say this refers to the eastern, the orient. The armies of the orient. And back as far, listen, as 1964, China was the only nation on the face of this earth that's claimed to have 200 million armed soldiers. 
And yet again, what I'm trying to get you to see, friend, is this. I don't know all the answers. I don't know all that John's saying. I do know that John is picturing to the best of his knowledge and mind all he's writing what he sees. It could be a picture indeed of modern day warfare, of fire, uh, the napalm, the fire, uh, uh, what do you call those things, flamethrowers. G.I. said to me last week, he said, Preacher, listen, I, 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 I'm in the tank corps. And he said, it is literally unbelievable. You saw flamethrowers in World War II. But he said, you cannot believe the strength and the length that the flamethrowers on a tank and that a G.I. carries on his back, how far it can go. He said, it's, un, it's inconceivable, the weaponry of a modern day. Now, to kill a third of the population, a fourth's already been killed. Listen, this world, you talk about, people worry about a population explosion. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's going to be thinned down, but not like this bunch are uh, trying to thin it down through Planned Parenthood. You're welcome. But the whole story is, it's going to be thinned down. Now, after a fourth has already been destroyed, you got a third. We're talking again around 800 million. Can you imagine in a period of three and a half to seven years, all the millions of corpse death prevalent all over this world? And yet, my friend, I'm not reading out of a funny book. I'm not reading some harebrained television writer's story. I'm telling you what God said, the same God that has predicted so many things and prophesied throughout this Bible and have come to pass. You can mark it down. If God said it, it's coming. I may not understand all of the picture language, but it's coming. I sit in anticipation to see the outcome of what now is happening around the Euphrates River. I do not say that this is what John's talking about here, what we're seeing today in the Middle East, but I believe it could be perhaps a first step. There is an aligning of nations such as we have never witnessed in our history. Nations getting together that you thought never would get together. Whoever thought Russia and the United States would ever be allies in any venture? Whoever thought the Berlin Wall would fall? Who would have thought that Germany would be united? Who would ever believe that according to the European common market, they're uniting and their goal is 1992 for a currency? I want to tell you folks, we better wake up. And men and women, especially in this audience who do not know Jesus Christ, man, oh man, under God, wake up. The thing is fast coming, the curtains as far as this world is concerned. An opportunity to be saved is slipping by you every day of your life. And child of God that's lingering and dallying and philandering and wasting your time and being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to his house and unfaithful to witness for him. Man, it's time to wake up. You don't have much more time to tell men of Jesus Christ. And I don't have much more time. Some of you have said something to me, you're concerned about my going so much. But I'm going to tell you, I don't believe I've got much time left. And I want to win as many people as I can to Jesus Christ. I want to get the gospel to as many under God as I can. I believe with my heart we're living in the culmination of this very day of grace. When opportunity will be gone. The consequence, a third kill. Perhaps from 800 million to maybe a billion destroyed. I don't know. 
But I want you to look at the consequence here. The consequence of this army or of, the, of, of this judgment that's come upon them in verse 18, 19. The reaction of people on this earth, you know what it's going to be? Hardness of heart. And they would not repent, the verse said. Now listen, men and women who have in their hearts rejected God's Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, God can send judgment on top of judgment on top of judgment. But you know what will happen? The heart gets harder. Happened to Pharaoh, did it not? All the miraculous things, everything came to pass just like Moses said it would to Pharaoh. Frogs came, lice came, blood turned to water. All of it happened just like he'd said. And what happened to Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. And I trust I'm not talking to somebody in this house. Trial, tragedy has come in your life and instead of your repenting and turning and drawing nigh to God, I pray you hadn't hardened your heart. But many, listen, I don't know of any man that's ever been brought to Christ through judgment. The men and women who come to Christ who come because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These harden themselves. But watch finally at verse 20 and 21. I wish you had time to linger on this. But verse 20 and 21 reveals the circumstances of this period. Look at the religious circumstance. You know what it is? It's idolatry. I have read this past week with great astonishment facts concerning the New Age movement. And I'm going to share some of those with this audience before too very long. You do not realize, nor do I, what's taking place in this country, folks. And it all goes back to this thing of demon activity and the worship of idols. Men are being told today that they are literally a god. Don't fear death because you'll be reincarnated. If you've lived a bad life, don't fear death. You'll come back and as a result, you can absolve your karma. You can kind of make up for the bad you've made in life. And would you believe that America, that men and women right here in our own countryside are being brainwashed night after night, day after day by means of television? Brainwashed, ready to accept. The tragic things are us. I don't even have time. I wish I did. But here, look at the religious. Idolatry. Following after false gods. But look at the moral condition. He said they would not repent, not of their idolatry, but neither of their murder. You ever known a day when murder was on the increase like it is now, folks? You don't know anything yet. People have little regard for human life. We live next door to the murder capital of the world, Atlanta, Georgia. And yet death and destruction, murder, and what a prevailing circumstance in this day. Oh, no wonder, following in the heels of idolatry. For a man's religion determines his ethics. What a man believes in his heart determines his conduct and his behavior. And these have no regard. Why should they? Why don't you worry about killing a fella? They believe they're going to be reincarnated. No trouble taking a fella's life. You haven't done anything to him. Maybe just giving him a chance to go around again in a better way. Philosophy that people adopt today. Not only that, but he said it wouldn't repent of their fornication. The word por pornea, from which the word fornication comes, is a reference to all types of sexual 
sin, sexual deviation, sexual perversion. We live in an age that is saturated with immoral, perverted sex. We live in a day of permissiveness. And men and women by the literal teeming thousands are falling prey to the demon of lust and sexual immorality day after day in this country. And yet this will be a day of increase when there's no regard, no respect for human bodies, no respect for human life. Not only that, but theft, stealing, dishonesty in general. You think people are crooked today? You'll need a corkscrew in the tribulation to put them in the ground. You'll have to screw them in the grain instead of burying them. The whole story of dishonesty, prevalent everywhere. See the increasing tide. And not only that, but let me mention last of all, neither repented they of their sorceries. The word sorceries comes from the word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy, which relates to drugs, which relates to the drug culture, and even occultism. Today, minds of men and women are being destroyed and open wide for the possession of demon powers through the use of drugs. And we have never lived in a day when drugs were so prevalent as we live now. And I believe drugs will be one of the implements the Antichrist will use to bring about worship of himself. The occult. The teaching of the New Age movement of humanism that man is a god, why not worship another man? He's revolved to some higher plane of manhood than the rest. Sorceries, witchcraft, the occult, black magic, Satan worship. You ever, listen, never in our history have we had a time when people avow themselves as followers of Lucifer, followers of Satan. There are churches in Atlanta, Georgia that are churches dedicated to the devil and people gather in them every Sunday to worship Satan. My friend, it's time then we realize what's about to happen to this world that Jesus has said through his servant John, his judgment is going to come, yes. But I want to tell you something. Before that judgment begins, God has a group of men and women who have received his son as Savior and thank God we're going to be caught out of this world. I'm not going to be here when this takes place. And you don't have to be here if you know Jesus as your Savior. Oh, you say, preach, you're trying to, you, you scare tactics. I wish to God I could scare the devil out of you. I wish you'd scare hell out of you. I wish you could scare you away from the life of sin and the rejection of Jesus Christ in your life. Oh, if we only really realize what tragedy a man's life holds for him who said no to the Son of God. Do you know that you're ready to meet Christ? Are you ready if he should come with that shout, the voice of the archangel? Are you ready to go up to meet him? I'm glad that if you trusted Jesus Christ, you'll be like those of Noah's family who entered that ark. And though the judgment came, Noah was safe above the flood. Or like Lot, who had left the city and then the judgment came. So when God removes his believing bride, judgment's going to overtake this world. And the only reason you had not judged it yet is because of that little group of despised men and women who love Jesus, who know him as Savior and Lord. Some of you have tied your souls on to a sinking ship. You've tied your life to a world that's destined to destruction, to a world that's consigned to judgment. 
I pray you'll make a different commitment of your life today. Give your life to Christ. Let's stand to our feet, please. Our heads are bowed.